first night of a record-breaking six consecutive sellout shows at London's Wembley Arena and Spandau are home for Christmas. I'm lifted high by 8,000 people and try to absorb their reaction. Looking out, I catch a glimpse of my parents and family standing in a box close to the stage. Huge grins of London pride light up their faces, and I'm suddenly aware of how far I've come. And then something occurs to me, that the guitar, the electric guitar, is the single most powerful weapon that was ever given to the working class. Hello, everybody. My name is Christian Overfield. And I am Martha Guzman, and we are the hosts of the Rockstar Autobiography Podcast. Join us as we review autobiographies by the greatest and most famous musicians in history. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we're very excited that you've joined us, as always. Um, as Martha and I read, we know we're, we do that with enthusiasm now, and you're going to be on the other side. Uh, these past couple episodes uh, have been big, big people, um, and I think that took a toll on us, Martha. Yes, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I totally I, agree. I just, it, we know what it feels like to sell out um, <laughs> and to not be true to yourself. Uh, it, it caused tension between us. It caused, yes. it just, it, it's the hard thing to sell a piece of your soul. You don't think it's going to matter, but it does. And um, <laughs> I really yeah. does. We got a little taste of it, right, Christian? Yeah, we, we did. got a, a small taste yeah, of it. Yeah, we rubbed elbows. It, the, with the big boys in the private box at the opera. Um, you know, there was something to that that was kind of fun. But, you know, I'm just most comfortable um, reading about people for whom I have a passion, Martha. I think I speak for you as well. Yes. Um, along those lines, we have returned to our roots. We're reading about people. Um, that we, like. That, yeah, <laughs> we like. Yeah, we like. Yeah. we like. We're eating at the restaurants we want to eat at. We're not at you know, Olive Garden anymore. We're enjoying the small little pockets and it doesn't matter if they're not as popular. You know, we gotta, you gotta do what you love. Gotta do what you love. And along those lines, Martha loves and is a big fan. She was excited to select this individual about whom we read. Yes. And Martha has something to say to you about that. Yes. So this person whose book we just read may be someone who most of you listening whose name you may not know. And I, I, I am pretty certain, Christian, that a big portion of the people who are listening to us have probably never heard of this name or know who this person is, but they definitely 100% have listened and heard his music. Uh, and that person's name is Gary Kemp founding member of Spandau Ballet, uh, the sole songwriter of all of the songs that we all know, True Gold. And I was very excited to read about Gary because I've always been a huge, huge, huge Spandau Ballet fan. In fact, Christian, last year uh, when my year wrapped, the one band whose music I listened to the most throughout all of 2021 was Spandau Ballet. Oh, wow. It is a band that I listen to all the time, uh, right up there with Roxy Music. And 
the Jesus and Mary chain. I've always been interested in, in wanting to know more about Gary. Obviously, I know the whole Spandau Ballet story. And, but, you know, again, as the sole songwriter of all of those enormous hits and just so much great music that he has written, I wanted to know his story. And so um, I suggested that we read this book. And we did. So here we are. Here we are. You can, I can just hear the difference in your voice, Martha. You're charged, you know, yes. different Martha than the one that has been joining me in the past couple of books. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so because I love this band. I love Spandau. I could tell. I, I think for better or worse, probably for worse in your eyes, I am probably most people when it comes to Spandau Ballet. And I know, look, so I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of a, of a guy named Edwin Collins. Okay. Yes. And no, nobody's heard of him. Ever. I know who Edwin Collins is. You know what I mean, though. I could go, I could ask a yes. million and they're not going to give me a blank look. But if I sing yes. one song of his in particular, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And so he has, the machine has designated him to be a one hit wonder. Uh, you know, I, people who. I, the individuals to whom that label is given, they don't have a choice of whether or not they're called a one-hit wonder. And that's got to be really demoralizing. Right. Um, so I, when when I hear that about Edwin Collins, it really chafes me because the man has written so many songs. He's so right. talented. Um, right. So I am loathe to say that about a band. Clearly, you have a lot of affection for. Yes. But to the world at large, I think, to the world outside of England, Spandau Ballet was all, it's a one hit, it's one hit. That's it. Sadly, that is, I think, the misconception about them. Correct. I think you are absolutely right uh, in that statement. I think most people think of True and Gold as being. I'm going to already argue. No, argue with you already. I'd never even heard the song Gold before. Oh, my goodness. And I bet you, (laughs) I guarantee you, all 80. 2,000 of our listeners <laughs> probably haven't heard it either. Oh my gosh. This is not true. This can't no be true. Intended. It is true. This can't be it true. Is. <laughs> but it's very true that no one scratched the surface of gold before. No. Yes. No. Yes. yes. It's not possible. But it I is. mean, even that, even that video was played. I remember watching that video on all but the video shows that i used to watch too how how can people not know gold oh no that they don't just like say it say it ain't so just just like a million people don't know all of edward collins other song it's just okay okay fair enough yeah and i'm I'm not saying i'm just saying i'm right or wrong unfortunately that's just i think the temperature of of how it is um so even I mean the title of his book I know this much. He didn't choose lyrics. Yes. He didn't choose. Well, this is, that's part gold. of it's part of the okay. lyrics, you know. I'm it's aware part of the lyrics. That, but he didn't choose gold or any other songs. He chose that <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> so my I was looking forward to reading this book because I knew you were very excited about it, and yes. because they were on the the radar, you know, and uh, of the kind of music I like. Certainly in the British era. I mean, you can't, you know, that's that's right over the plate in terms of my interest. I didn't know anything about Spandau Ballet, though. Um, I, oh, I, interesting. I, I mean, all I can say is I vividly, vividly remember when that song, True, was released. 
and yes. how it's just, it was, it, you know what? It, it's almost like the, the righteous brothers, unch, um, you've lost that loving feeling. It's, I'm sure that's how those people felt and that it was, it's such a, it's such a perfect song. It feels like it's, it's a perfect song. Yeah. It feels yes. like it's almost always existed. And when you hear it the first time, it's it timeless. Like it's timeless. You like, yeah. It, you feel like you, is this a new song or is this yes. old? It, it sounds permanent. Yes. So, um, and then I do remember seeing um, the, the the movie about the craze when it came out way back whenever, gosh, I'm dating myself. I, I saw that um, shortly when it, after it came out and he yes. it starred Mr. Gary Kemp as one of the craze, the notorious yes, craze. Yes, yes, yes. Um, about whom Morrissey sang and the last of the international Correct. playboys. Correct. So we did, however, read a book. We did. It did. Um, this much is true. <laughs> yeah. I would have hit that button the whole episode. The entire funny, episode. Funny how it we, seems, but I'm going <laughs> to do it all. Oh, we're going we're gonna to keep going back to it. Sorry, yeah, everyone, but that's true. just yeah, it. Totally this true. much is true. It really is. How can you avoid it? You know, I bet he doesn't care because we're going to get a, a, a cease and desist letter afterwards saying you we owe him money for <laughs> I bet he's copyrighted the word at this point. And oh, my goodness. The word true. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So if you don't mind, because I'm assuming you loved it. I don't mean that. And I'm just assuming you did because, you know, you're so enthusiastic to read it. I did. And and not because I am a fan of, of Spandau. Uh, but because I thought it was so well written and it really took me on a journey uh, in terms of reliving my childhood and early adolescence. Um, and so I I absolutely love this book. Okay. Well, I began the book thinking I was going to love it because yes. I think you and I can definitely both agree that this is one of the books where the writer definitely, I, he certainly seems... You could just tell by a page or two that his IQ is higher or is high. I'll just put it that He's, his use of language and the yes. the amount of attention he gives to language. Yes. And, and the way he writes a memoir. Clearly, he wanted to make this book successful in its own medium as a, as a memoir with language. Yes. I thought it was very well written. Yeah, there is. It's very well written in that regard. But there's some beautiful language uh, expressions. Um and at moments that works. And in that regard, it reminded, it reminded me a little of Fred Anderson's. Yes, me too, Christian. Yeah. And that he took the job seriously of what he wanted yes. to do. And the way he wrote uh, constructed images similar to what Brett did, where you were able to envision um, the England of his time when he was growing up in the same way that Brett did. So yes, in those ways that the, I, I also thought of Brett's book as I, as I started reading it, I was, I was getting flashbacks to, to Brett's. There was, however, a massive, massive problem to the book, Martha, to me. Okay. What, what gonna, was the... I hate... Look, it's difficult because I know how I wanted to love it because I know you... I just did because I know you were such a fan. Yes. I saw the book suffered from the worst malady and affliction anything, any artistic thing can suffer from. Oh, what was that? Tell me. It was boring. I didn't think it so. It was painfully, and I'll tell you why. I figured it out. Why? I'll tell you, I figured it out. I was reading, like, what this man is doing wrong. He doesn't, I have absolutely no idea, having finished the book, 
about Spandau Ballet, about the band, about his relationship with them. And I, I would liken it this way. So if you think of fruit connected by a vine, right? The narration exists only in the vine. He never, ever talks about the fruit. He never, I, there are so many examples where I couldn't believe that he was doing it again. He'd say, for instance, oh, we, we were so excited. We were about to go on stage, top of the pops. Next line. Well, when we got off stage, I'm thinking, are you kidding? You're, that's the part you're skipping. That's what you're skipping. He did it over and over and over. He oh, did that it. That didn't bother me. It that didn't, didn't bother me. Oh, oh, hey, oh, oh, I cannot tell you how much of a failure I thought that was. It's like, dude, this is why what I want to know. He talks about Live Aid, but he doesn't talk about Live Aid. He talks about sort of in every story he tells, he sort of talks to you about driving to the event and then driving from the event. He right. never. Amber I, I see what you're saying. Tells you about the event, and he does that. He even met a, He even does that, Martha, for Spandau Ballet. I had absolutely no idea about his relationship with the band, the band members, what it was like, what the tours were like. Uh, I, I I cannot tell you enough how little Martha. He just uh, it was so opaque. It doesn't matter that he's using wonderful language. He didn't tell me any stories at all, at all. And I, I did just, I was kind of dumbfounded by, and I got to tell you, by the end, I was speed reading the thing. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I was not. I thought that he, you know, maybe I, I overlooked because I didn't, I didn't feel that way. Uh, and maybe I was able to not notice that because I was able to fill in maybe perhaps so. what wasn't there just because I know so much about their story. Because I I did not read it that way. I thought that he did such a good job at telling us everything from the very beginning. It, it's the band's inception towards the end and, and everything in between. And I thought, um, like, I never felt that there was anything really missing from it. And again, perhaps the reason for that is because I do know their story, you know? Uh, perhaps that was the reason because I, I, I read it, um, straight through and I, and it was just, I thought it was such a great, a great story that he told about all of it. Uh, so that's, I'm really, it's interesting to me that you, that you right. felt that. I know, knew absolutely nothing about Spandau Ballet and I don't still, I mean, seriously. So to you, I could understand in your position, uh, if you already know the story and you're a big fan it's just such a delight to spend time with somebody for whom you have such admiration, you know? Right, right. But I, I, he didn't, I don't. And you did. wanted to be, you wanted to be let in. You wanted to yeah, be, he didn't let me I understand anything. that. He just sort of assumed, I like, I don't, dude, I don't, believe it or not, I don't know about any of this stuff. He, I, he doesn't tell us how, how he develops a passion for playing the guitar. He doesn't, I, there's, the list would be too long to, to, in regards to the things that he doesn't tell us, which is well, anything. I will yes, I will I will say I will agree with you on that point that you made in terms of you know he talks about how with the guitar you know he gets it he gets a toy guitar as a Christmas gift which he's not excited about right. at all, uh, and the reason he gets he gets receives that as a as a Christmas gift from his dad is because he was seen playing with a cousin's toy guitar, so his dad buys him one. But he just kind of puts it aside and he couldn't care less about this guitar. And 
it is not until later that he starts kind of playing around and, and making music when he's in junior high. But, um, but yeah, he doesn't really get into it the way that perhaps others have in their stories about how much they fell in love with an instrument or, or the singing or whatever. You're right. He doesn't really do that. And, and, you know, now that you mentioned that, I can think of instances where he does jump from one thing to the other where he does tell a story about something and he says, you know, we get there like live aid, for instance. Right. right. And the mm-hmm. next thing we were doing something else. So yeah. I'm no, yes. Now, as you, as you mentioned that I, I can see that, but again, I think for me, because I do know their story so well, um, it, I, I don't think that that really even quite honestly, I didn't even consider it. It didn't even cross my mind. Like, wow. Oh, I wish he would. I wish he would tell me more about this. I think in part because sure. I was able to fill those gaps by all the magazine articles I would read about them when I was a kid. You know what I mean? And yeah. things like that. Um, I've never, until you, I've never met a Spandau Ballet fan. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't mean that as criticism. I don't mean to suggest No, no, that, I understand yeah, that. I'm I understand saying, that. I've never encountered one before. So wow. uh, yeah, I, I, I was stunned to that nobody pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, your nachos, dude, it's all chips. Okay, there's no cheese inside. <laughs> you might want to bring a little sour cream, anything. He's like, no, I think I'll just chips. That's just fine. I, I was just dumbfounded. And there was one by the end, okay, because the book's the, the opening chapter, and I think actually the first quadrant of the book, before they get this, he gets to spend out about, I really enjoyed it because I had yes. no expectation about anything else except, okay, well, this is your childhood. This is your life. It's yes. gorgeously written. I mean, there's yeah, just it a. It really is. It yeah. really is. It I really mean, is. He, he, he hasn't written all those hits by not being a good writer. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he has written some really, the book was just well very well written. There, I mean, there was one paragraph in particular, like I was swooning, where he talks about, he, it, it had that Angela's ashes quality again, where he talks yes. about his hand into his grandmother's sweater and then the, the, what it's like when she, he discovers it has holes in it and there's a whole hidden world represented by the sweater and what, what the sweater means. And it's, yes. super, it's super thoughtful, beautifully written. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and again, if, if, if the hook to the book, I mean, look, Martha, he didn't call this book like a beautiful memoir, period. It's called I Know This Much from Spandau. It's like, that's the hook. That's the, like it or not, you do have to deliver that. And he's like, do I know? Because he didn't at all. At all. And here, I I'll tell you what. I didn't see it that, I didn't I'm read gonna, it that way. So, okay, here, the, the part of the end where I just, I thought you did it to me again, dude. <laughs> you did it to me again. Yeah, I can't believe I fell for it. The book starts classic. He does borrow a trope. And, and again, I mean, there's only so many ways you can start on memoir. Okay. Right. He starts it in the classic way we read about, but at a high tension moment where, and it's, you know, you and I know all bands, not all bands, but if you start a band and you're successful. Many of them. <laughs> yeah. Odds are you're going to end up in court suing your best right. friend and you're going to wonder right. how did it get here? And that's chapter two. It all began when, so his chapter one starts, I was riveted. I was like, oh my gosh, it does a great job of really talking about the drama of walking into a British courtroom. Because I swear, his book and Lowell Tallhurst succeeded at making British courtrooms sound like the most terrifying places on <laughs> earth. <laughs> they really do sound yeah. very intimidating, don't they? Oh, yes, horrible. yes. I mean, I've unfortunately had to spend time, but in the courtroom 
uh, personally, but is I don't ever. In England? Yeah. So you, Martha, if you and I ever, you know, start raking it in cash and we yeah. wind up in court, I want you to know, I forget it. I'm not going to go there with you. I'll probably just settle because it's just too much. <laughs> No, no, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do everything in writing. We're gonna do it the right way. Christian. We already have it. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, that's right. We do have it in writing. <laughs> oh, we never finished signing anything. <laughs> anyway, so the book starts. I mean, really, it is beautifully written, and you know, it's he's like, "How did we get in court? Here's my bandmates across the way. Or am I gonna yes. go through with it?" Yeah. Uh, and so then it, he kicks it back in time. And so when you get to the part uh, where the legal, I think, battle is now, oh, he does it again. He doesn't really tell you what happens in court. When you finally get to that moment of the movie, like, okay, now we're back to where we started. Well, we all know what happens. Nobody (laughs) but you knows, Martha. Absolutely nobody in the world but Martha knows what happened to Spandau Ballet. Believe it or not. Oh, really? It's just me? No one else? No one else has memorized the court transcripts. I love that you said how we all know. We all know, but sure. Those of us who are Spanto Ballet fans know what happened in the court. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, if you haven't, it's worth it alone. If you haven't seen the episode of Modern Family. Oh, yeah. That's why the episode is so brilliant, Martha, because... It's predicated on the notion that anybody knows about Spandau Ballet. <laughs> and so when Edward Norton, who is he was playing, I guess, is he playing Gary Kemp in that? Well, he's playing, he's playing, he's a guitarist, is he not? He's a guitarist in that episode, I think. I think he's, he's, actually, suppo- he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be one of the Spandaus. Yeah. And so yeah. it's he quickly, he discovers that the, the people who've hired him in the episode don't actually know any Spandau Ballet music. And he's offended. And he says, you're not a true fan now, which is one of the greatest lines ever in, in the pop culture <laughs> show. So, Martha, um, believe it or not, nobody but you knows what happened in that courtroom. And I oh, still sorry. don't because he didn't tell us. I well, went, uh, real quick, real quick. The yes. final, the final, like Lucy pulling the football away, because I should have known it's almost towards the end of the book. After all this acrimonious tension in the band, and they've split up, or whatever. Uh, yeah, they have split up, I guess. Yeah, they broke up. They've broken up. They broke up at, at one point, yeah. As everybody knows. So Yeah, as everyone yeah, knows. <laughs> he, he gets together with the lead singer, about whom I still know. I know nothing. Absolutely. Tony Hatley. <laughs> it would have been better, Martha, if you had just typed up a little bio and taped it to the book before I'd read it. Then I would have had contact. <laughs> some cliff notes christian <laughs> he sits down to have lunch with the singer because gary has changed his oh mind. i know what you're uh, okay i had a moment there too christian oh, i had really? a moment did, finally and that was that was a moment where i was like well what did exactly. he say to you thank you <laughs> so it's the, oh, but i think i know what he said to him uh, because, I think of course I know. i'm sure you read it well i think when you're hiding in the bushes looking from a distance <laughs> you were, and you went to lip reading class just for this purpose you were able to figure it out <laughs> I cannot lip read and I wasn't there. So he tells us it's dramatic because Martha, as you and I have learned, all of these books are about relationships. So the closest this book ever comes to talking about pain and a damaged relationship and its repair comes at the end of the book. With Tony Hatley. Is that his name? Still don't know. Yes. So he's sitting, he calls Tony to the meeting. Tony agrees to take it to have a lunch. Okay. And then... Tony uh, 
basically has a lot of anger and pain he needs to get off his chest and he then proceeds to do so and according to gary kemp it almost seems like i think he memorized it like he really just wanted to make like sure he'd rehearsed it because he, he wanted to just every get word, it straight every word right and do you want to know how many of those words gary kemp shares with us <laughs> Zero. Zero. Nada. <laughs> zero. It just cuts to the next scene. Yeah. Like it you're. It does. Uh, it, I, it just imagine if you're a, ho- a slick 80s Hollywood producer and you go to see a movie and and every sex scene and action scene from your action movie has been cut. Well, most sex scenes are gratuitous, so they we are, could. Do- <laughs> but my point is, it's like, and so are violence scenes. Uh, they are. Anyway. They're just. That's what did it. So, I I wanted to love it because the language was there, and I could see he tried. He he. I mean, it, he didn't. He didn't just uh, slap dash this thing together. No, he did not. You can tell that he was very thoughtful in in his word choice and the way that the book was laid out the story was yes i wonder let's go deep because you and i are also psychologists at this point (laughs) well at this you know i do have a psychology minor right go on well at this point (laughs) i I have a major and a master's and phd after all these books (laughs) so i want you have to then extrapolate that this that in and of itself must be revealing about him that he doesn't tell you let you in on anything he doesn't let you in on why his marriage to Katie, uh, Sadie Frost. I, he, right. he marries her. He describes her as like a very wonderful person. She was in the video for gold, by the way. Did anybody know? Uh, Do you think anybody else knew that? I knew that from a very long time ago. I wish we had a morning <laughs> show. So once a day, we could just survey random people. Do you know who wrote the song Gold? They're just going to look at you. Uh, yeah, and Sadie Frost is and, in that video. Uh, I'm sure she is. But she uh, is. their marriage, believe it or not, does not last. And she went I, on to marry Jude Law after that. And Jude Law's cheated on her too. Yeah, with the, yes, with the nanny for a Sadie. Terrible, terrible. It is terrible. Um, I still have no idea why his marriage to Sadie ended because he doesn't tell. It just and just like I still don't know why Spandau Ballet really ended, except for oh, well, I can tell you because I know I, the whole story. I think you should. <laughs> I'm just gonna go make some dinner while you sit here and tell our fans. The story uh, I will. I will tell you. Ballet. I will tell you exactly why, but. But before I do, Christian, before I do, um, I, I do want to say that, you know, something that was very telling, and I think, you know, to your point, that there are things that he does leave out. Uh, you know, and a part of me wonder too, Christian, for instance, with that uh, that moment where he talks about both he and Tony meeting, but they had to have Steve, the drummer, mediate right. that meeting between them because Tony was still having some, you know, it, it, was, it was still a little awkward. A little raw. Uh, yes. And so... Going to back to that instance, right? I think something that was very telling about who he may be as a person, perhaps, is that at one point he tells us, you know, as the band is unraveling and his marriage and things are just as as they all do, right? In all of these stories. And I think these are not just necessarily rock star things that happen. I think it's life. I think it happens to all of us at one point or another where we feel that our lives might be unraveling or tearing at the seams or whatnot. And so one of the things that he does say is that at this point, you know, they're having, I think it's one of his birthday parties. They're at a birthday party for him and everything is just falling apart and everyone's upset. And All right. he ends up going to call his mom and he says, you know, and it was the first time since I was a child that I cried. 
And so I think that that to me said a lot about him yes. as a person also. And so I think, you know, putting on our psychologist hat, yes. uh, perhaps that's part of the reason that some of those gaping holes that gaping. you found uh, oh, that's, were there. That would have been a better title for the book. <laughs> um, I think that that's probably why, right? Because maybe he does, he he expresses what he needs to feel and to express through song and through music and through, and that's his, that's, you know, his outlet. Uh, and I think I've shared this before in, in, a, in a previous episode that I once read that the reason that men especially gravitate so much to music is because of that, because, you know, I think for men in general, or what I read a long time ago in an article was that for men, generally speaking, it is difficult for them to be open uh, about their emotions and to allow themselves to be vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. But music allows for that, right? And so being a songwriter, perhaps that is where that outlet, that's what that serves for him as, as that type of an emotional release. Uh, and, you know, as a singer myself, as a karaoke singer, I will say, I, I, I will say that I can relate because I don't let yeah. a lot of emotion out uh I don't know. And, and I, I can understand, which is why I like the sad songs and I like right. all that because that's where it all comes out. And so I imagine sure. that, you know, as, as a fellow, as a fellow artist, I understand, I understand, I understand Gary, but you know, Christian, <laughs> I think we should talk a little bit about his beginning. Okay. Right. Which I and really so, enjoyed reading about. Yes, that was wonderful. And you know, there's something about, and he says it in his book as well. You know, there is something that I find, and I think maybe it's because we've read so many books and we studied English literature, Christian, that there a part of me always romanticizes this England, right? Oh, of, so do I still. Uh, right? Still. Uh, and, and it's romanticized. And, um, and so he talks, you know, he tells us about what it was like growing up. And, you know, they were, you know, like most of these uh, artists that we've read about, they were, you know, he came from a, very much a working class family where they, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And so uh, he, the picture that he paints of that time, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's somewhat romanticized because, you know, times were simpler and all of this, but they were yes. also not the best of times. No, they were Kinda harder. Like, they were harder. And, and he talks about that, you know, he says at one point that he, when he looks back on his childhood and the fact that, they were as poor as they were, you know, and, and trying to make ends meet. And and like Christian said earlier, you know, he he finds um, there was so much love in his home that he never truly realized that they were poor, right? Uh, because all the other people that he that they interacted with were in the same social economic situation that they were in. So there was not a difference. There was nothing that made their life look remarkably different from anybody else's. But it's this one instance where he puts his hand in the sweater and there's a hole in it. And he realizes like, oh, wow. And he says, and the the way he writes about it is that he immediately takes his hand out of it. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost as though he's discovered something about them that he didn't know before. And he doesn't like the way that makes him feel. Uh, and so, and he talks about how, you know, it's a very Dickensian type um England. It and really he, is, boy. Yes. And and he talks about how in some ways he romanticizes it. But then when he looks back on it now, and he's, as he says, as he's writing this book, he realizes like, no, that was really tough. Like we were poor. 
Yeah. Uh, and so they, they really don't have, um, you know, a, a whole lot of money. But what they do have is each other and, and their family. And, you know, again, like many others, they, they really paint this lovely image of what, what their family life was like and that there was always love there. They might have not have had the material, but they certainly had the love. And uh, he soon uh, starts making, he, he becomes, he joins a local acting class with yes. like other kids from the neighborhood. And there's this woman who's teaching them to act. Uh, but by the same token, he's also interested, you know, he starts playing this, the toy guitar then becomes an actual guitar because he starts kind of playing and singing at school and things like that. And he ends up making, um, he records his very first song. And I thought that the story was so charming. Christian. I did too. I did too. Uh, he, he talks about uh, how he records his first song at Waterloo Station in London. And his dad, it's like in a in a phone booth, is it not? Or it's like a no, no. It was a recording booth that Correct. they had, and they could they had to keep putting money in there. And and so his dad's continuously gotta, dropping coins. I, I want yes. you to elaborate on on that because I think that is just so charming and of a different era. Can you please elaborate on? Yes, yeah. yes. So he wants to make this song for a competition, an Easter competition, uh-huh. uh, at his school. Uh, but he wants to to do it right and and fill in the the holes because I did read this a while back, Christian. So I might so be a little sketchy. Yes, yeah. me too. And so he wants to create this song, uh, but he wants to do it right and he wants to record it because he really wants a chance at winning this this contest. And so both he and his dad decide that they're just going to go to this this recording little booth uh, at Waterloo Station, and he takes his little guitar and you know again you got to remember these. They don't have a whole lot of money. So it's it's almost like that's his dad, you know, having uh, putting sort of faith in him and 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 being excited for him and encouraging his son, right, to do this. And so they go to Waterloo Station and they it only it, they can only record for like a certain amount of time. Yeah. It's not it's not very long. So he's gotta like he's gotta hurry up and he's gotta make he's sure gotta that he nail does it. Yeah. He's gotta <laughs> nail it and he's gotta do it right. Uh, and you know, and there's the pressure. So he's singing, but there's this pressure that within minutes, he's going to have to be out of this booth, right? Cause he can't be there any much longer. And plus there's only so much money that you can put in, in there for it to continue recording. And so every time that there needs to be more money added, his dad is there you yeah. know, adding additional coins. Oh, that's so great. It was so great. <laughs> and he talks about how he still has that recording, which I thought was so charming as yeah. well. Yeah. And so he records this song and you know, he talks about how soon, you know, they're they're at this at this competition and uh, he ends up winning. But the the kicker to all of this is that uh, there's a bishop there. Right. There's a bishop and there there. It's the, the people that are judging this contest uh, and he ends up winning. And then later, this bishop shows up to their home and. This is, I felt, sort of the moment where his trajectory starts, Christian. Yeah, it, rem- um, it reminded me of um, Pat Benatar, the Pat Benatar moment. Yes, you know. I thought that too. Yeah. I thought that too about like a person who sees something in a yes. young person yeah. and and says, I think there's something special here. Let's, uh-huh. let's nurture it, right? And so the bishop shows up to their home, uh, to his family home, and he brings with him a cassette player. And that cassette player soon ends up becoming a very important piece of equipment because it's where he starts to record his music. Uh, and so, you know, I, I thought that 
it almost from a very early age, sort of his his path had been set, not only with the music, but also with the acting. Because there were these, you know, the, these classes that it, it, they really weren't even classes. It was just like this this neighborhood group of kids where it was it sounded almost to me Christian as though it was a way to keep the kids out of trouble could have been and so you know because they they weren't you know they they weren't the most well-to-do folks and so it was a way to kind of reach out and have something creative a creative outlet for all these kids and so from a very very early age he is already both acting and showing an interest in music and that eventually you know goes on to adulthood obviously but uh, I found those earlier chapters to be uh, very romantic. Very, in, yeah. In, in a, you know, in a. It's weird of, to say romantic because he's describing such poverty, but I felt the right. same way. Yeah. Right, but but it is right, yeah. and like I said, he even says that he says that it's so. When he thinks about it uh, now, as an adult looking back, he also romanticizes it without, and then he remembers like, no, it was actually really tough. <laughs> we were we were poor. We were. You know, they had an outhouse. That's where they went to the restaurant. I mean, this, you know, it's always astonishing to me. I you, know. Christian. That part blows uh, my mind. It's astonishing. And I think in part it's because, you know, you don't really, I think that unless you uh, grew up in that part of the world, right? And in, in Europe. And I don't think, I think for those of us here and, and being American, we don't realize just how devastating the war, the war is really war. Yeah. For sure. Right. And, and and how much and how long it took for people to eventually come out of the rubble in a way, yeah. uh, because what he describes is in England that I don't necessarily, you know, I don't know. I don't recognize that from when I was there and visiting. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. interesting. It's interesting. I would describe how he takes a bath. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. The, it's in the what is it? The same bath water? Or like think, they, don't they have to go to a place? Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. Wow. They, they have to go to a, like a like bath bath houses. Yeah, right. Like drive they, the same way people have to drive to do the laundry. He's driving to take a bath. Yes. in a public bath system. That part blew my mind. That, but you know, yeah. yes, but we've read about that before. I though, know, but each it's, time it's, it's like what it's the astonishing. Hell? It really is. It's astonishing, it's astonishing because, because this is in the sixties already. Right. This was in the 60s. It's weird to think that England was behind us. Uh, you'd have yes. to, I mean, that's the conclusion I'm reaching is that economically it, they were behind us as a result of the war. Right. Yeah. It, it, that was, is strange. And that's, I feel like I'm learning about history when I read. About, Me too. Yeah, in, Me too. In a really personal uh, way. And it's not even their intent per se. You come, No, it's it, their yeah, life. It is. And you come away learning about history. And I love that. You know, to go back to the, to the song you recorded in that booth, when you're done putting all those coins in, you get to take home with you oh, right. an actual vinyl record of what yeah, you just recorded. A 45, I believe it's it was, so right? so amazing. When I read yes. that, I thought, wow, what a, you know, <laughs> I, you'd think yeah. they would keep that to this day, you know? I mean, yes, I yes. Can you imagine anybody out there, if you like, if you just wanted to like say send a little sweet message to somebody you love, you could go in the booth. They would record on an actual piece of vinyl, and then you you would give it to somebody. I mean, how that's romantic. That is yeah. romantic yeah. with a capital R. Oh my gosh, I would be recording all sorts of things. I yeah, would, they would I'm never sure be able to get would. me out. Yeah, they never be able to get me out of there. I believe it. You, <laughs> the history of Spanda Ballet. Just I would record every song, every yes. single song. <laughs>
Gary Kemp's great-great-grandfather was born <laughs> in Ireland. But before that, we must learn about Ireland to better understand Gary Kemp. Yes, yes. But, you know, he starts playing with a band very early on when he's in eighth grade, he tells us. Yes. Um, and just like everyone else that we've read about yes. coming from England. Here it comes. Here it comes, everybody. If you haven't guessed, you haven't been <laughs> listening to our show. But in <laughs> sh- by this time, if you don't know the name Martha is about to say out loud, then you're not a fan doubt. You're not. You're, you're not, not a fan doubt. You're not a. <laughs> You're not a, a, a fan star or a, I don't know. I can't come up with better for the rock star biography. <laughs> but, you know, like drum everyone. Drumroll. Who was the person? I, 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 David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie makes another appearance yet again. And, you know, this is another part of this story that I also found to be very romantic in that, you know, it when we've read about other people like Boy George, you know, and all these other folks, I'm right? Glad, I'm glad you brought that up. I'll tell you in a minute. Yes. Uh, uh, there's a reason I brought him up. Uh, it's almost as though every single person of this era, you know, who came yes. about or in the 80s was glued to the TV at yes. the same time. Uh, that's romantic as well. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Everyone was glued to the TV, mesmerized by this fantastical creature who was David Bowie appearing on their TV screen. Yes. Because they'd never seen anything or anyone quite like him. And, you know, that is part of the reason uh, that as I was reading this book, Christian, I was also romanticizing the 80s in the big way that I was doing so because I felt that there was something that was still very much that way in the early 80s where, you know, for instance, I remember the first time I saw Wham!, on American Bandstand as a little kid and just being like, oh my God, they're on TV. Or when I saw Madonna on American Bandstand for the first time. And I'm not alone in that. There's other people our age who remember that as well, right? And that's not necessarily the case now. There's no shared experience anymore. There's no shared experience. And so you you can't romanticize about those things with other people nowadays in the way that you can, unless they're of your generation right right, um, right but you can't really do that and you know it's sad people yes. are going to romanticize remember the first time you saw billy eilish on tiktok that's going to be their <laughs> shared experience yes that's perhaps sad. perhaps that is perhaps. sad but you weren't all glued at the no, same time weren't. waiting you know because we had to wait i mean in the same yeah. way that these folks had to wait to see something we had to wait you know we ha- we couldn't go on youtube and watch a video. We had to wait until they released it. We had to wait until the new song was released. Yeah. And, and so in that way, this is a shared experience with so many of the people that we later became fans yeah. of, right? Uh, but yeah, so David Bowie makes an appearance and he is blown away. You know, he uses the same adjectives that everyone else has used uh, as far as the way that he felt and how absolutely mesmerized he was by what he was watching on TV and how, you know, it was very charming too is how everyone gathered around the TV, right? He talks about it was, it wasn't just, you know, him and Martin, his brother, but it was the whole family watching this together, which I thought that doesn't happen anymore. It does not. (laughs) I mean, who, who does that? No one watches anything together. I don't think as much as they used to at one point. I remember, you know, I mean, it's, it's all of that that's gone. Yeah, our show is the last thing people gather around. You know? <laughs> by, the, by the fireplace. <laughs> yeah. Every time we release another one, people just 
get the family together. Get uh, here the family it goes, together everyone. Don't talk while it's airing. <laughs> and I I feel pride. I take pride in that fact. You take pride in bringing families together yeah, in the 21st we, century? Yeah, somebody's <laughs> got to do it. Somebody's got to repair this country. Might as well you be us, right? doing, it. Yeah. <laughs> doing it. Episode by, by episode. That's right. So Martha touched on, I, I did not care for the reading experience of the book after after the childhood Martha's talked about, which is romantic and wonderful to read about. The second he gets, I thought that the, that the book should have tipped over into now we're heading into, okay, I'm expanded by LA, right? It doesn't happen. So I didn't care too much about the book. And I, for that reason, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated George, boy George, because he shows up throughout the book. Throughout the book. He shows <laughs> up throughout the book. To make fun. A out <laughs> yes, he does. And, and I him. laughed hysterically I every time. <laughs> I'm going to use profanity if you're listening. You have sensitive. I'm just quoting Boy George. But basically, each time Boy George bumps <laughs> up, up against Gary Kemper's Pantow Ballet. Or any one of them. <laughs> says, are you guys still making that shit music? And I just thought <laughs> that was the best part of the book. Which, <laughs> Thank you, boy George. I can always count on you to lift my spirits. He does. And it's so it's <laughs> I thought that the way that he incorporated um boy George's, you know, little appearances yeah, so were were perfectly placed. It was always totally. when there's drama oh, going on, when there's some so, level of intensity so about recording much. this song or You and I have a different experience because we read about we know what Boy George's yes. acid-like commentary is. Yes, yes, and yes. And so to see him pop up, and you know, that was another, to me, again, I'm going to say failure for me, is this is one more experience where I was excited, like, oh boy, this is a like the fourth perspective we read about where somebody is at a one of those foundational clubs where Boy George used to go, where New Order used to hang out before they kind of became... But whilst right. they were in the midst of their formation, all these people were hanging out at the same places. At the as, Blitz. Correct. And he just, he, he just didn't bring us into that. Only because Boy George kind of crashed the whole thing with his personality. Boy George, he, to me, it's like Boy George crashed into the book and brought color to it. Right. Briefly. And then he vanished. And then I was like, well, okay, well, we're back to Gary, who doesn't, you know, like to reveal anything. And it was maddening to me. It, it it didn't. And, you know, again, I think for me, because I have read so much about the Blitz, I have read so much about sort of that whole scene, just because it's so fascinating to me, Christian, yeah. in the sense in the sense that so many people, um, and what I think is also remarkable is, to, well, to finish my thought, that so many people came out of that scene, yeah, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and what's remarkable is not so much that they that they were all super creative, super talented, uh, but also that they all made it. I know, it's crazy. It wasn't just, you know, one band that made it and maybe some other person, uh, but it was essentially everyone who used to hang out together at this club, the Blitz in Soho in in England, London, uh, ended up becoming someone they and sure i do. love that i love that someone else who i am an enormous fan of Sade. uh she's mentioned in this book right. as having been one and I, I i knew that too that she used to hang out with all of them um there as well just because i i just i listen i've read about all of these people i know i, I know I the story yeah. i know the story i know the story 
Uh, so it was kind of cool to, to read about her. And then what I found to be very curious was how he said that about her was that, about Sade, was that he says, you know, at one point that she was never confident that she could make it as a singer. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. All she oozes is confidence when you see her on mm. stage, you know. And, and oh, anyway, I could go on about her, too. But anyway, uh, but yeah, he, he doesn't really... Again, I, I thought he gave enough, but I could see that if if you are not a, a Fandel the way that I am, yeah. that you maybe would have wanted a little bit more. Yeah, I wanted a lot more. I wanted to learn anything about Spandau Ballet, and I just never did. I never did. Um, I, I couldn't, if somebody were to quiz me at the end, I, I couldn't tell you anything about them. I, I can give him some credit for the fact that he doesn't spend an, a disproportionate amount of time talking about true he, he, it's like he can't avoid it. He's got to talk about that song because yes. it's such a, a cataclysmic event for the band. I mean, to this day, he must be making a million dollars a year doing absolutely nothing but collecting his royalties. Not the other guys, but him, definitely. Right. You know what? Which actually leads us into, I, if I'm understanding correctly. But no, 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 no. Can we, before we move on, though, we sure. need to talk about True. We need to talk about True because, okay. because um, the story behind it, you know, I have to tell you that when I learned the story behind True, uh, I mean, you can't, you know, it, it, that's not my favorite Spandau Ballet song. Come on, but don't be difficult. No, of course it is. No, 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 it's really not. All my right. favorite song is I'll Fly For You. That's my favorite okay. Spandau Ballet song. This, But of course it's a favorite. How can it not be, Christian? Right. How monster. can it not be? It's a beautiful song. It's perfect from beginning to end. It's It's timeless. It's just... I mean, it's perfect. It's a perfect song. It really um, is. And I love it. I love it. Uh, but uh, with that said, though, I loved it even more when I learned what the story behind it was, which he shares in the book. Uh, and the, the the story, I learned more detail about it in the book uh, than the story that I knew. I knew, I knew a lot less about it um, before, but he wrote that song for the lead singer of Altered Images. And what I had originally read was that they were friends. And so it was a, a platonic relationship, but he was in love with her. And he wrote that song for her because he couldn't come out and express to her how he felt. But then what, it, what you learn through his telling of the story in this book is that it appears that the feelings might have been reciprocated, perhaps, but for whatever reason, they just really couldn't be together. Uh, there's... It wasn't terribly clear, but that's sort of the gist of it. Um, and that is what made me love the song even more when I learned what it was really about. Because I thought, oh, my God, Gary, oh, my God. like Gary. Did she, Gary, did you tell her? that she, she would have like, come on, you should have told her. But anyway. That's my complaint. That, <laughs> he should have told you yeah, everything. Anything. <laughs> Well, uh, clearly, clearly, he doesn't really like to express too much, obviously. Nope. <laughs> you see, but he does it through song. So back to my original theory, I'm correct. He does it through song. He lets it all out in music. He does that thing, Martha. A lot of musicians, artists do this where, so trues come out, it's in the past. And, you know, un unfortunately for them, even though they've got this monster hit, it they now have to live under its shadow. And right. So the record, everybody casually says, well, can you write another one of those, please? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and hell, it's it's a miracle anybody can write one of those. So 
he can't, to my in my opinion. Let's just look at and and commercially, and again, that's no metric system of whether or not a song is good or bad, but he he just doesn't in in that regard. But he then moves on to write a song, and I tell you, we've read a lot of books where people do this. I forget the name of the song. No offense, Martha. Oh my goodness. Where he now forgive me. He, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> he gets moved by politics and a passionate spirit for the troubles of what's going on in Ireland. Literally, it's called the Troubles. Apparently, right. I don't know anything about it. Although I own a book about it, but I haven't read it yet. And he wakes up, I think, in the middle of the night, moved by this melody, moved by the lyrics, moved. And you know, I. When I was 16 years old and I first learned about the Smiths, I learned that uh, Morrissey and Johnny Marr felt this way. They felt that we, this is the finest moment. They're most passionate. This is our song. And it was Shakespeare's sister, which I is- I love that song. I, to me, is the most, one of those boring Smith songs. Oh my gosh. And I love that the author of the book That's wrote- blasphemy. You know, That's blasphemy. That's yeah, blasphemy. I love well, that song. I can ex- we're going to tie, don't let me forget you said that. We'll tie that in this band down well afterwards. Okay. But the author of the book said, well, you know, uh, it's great that you were passionate about it, but there's not a melody in sight. And it's not a surprise to anybody else but you why that song wasn't a big hit. So he talks. Well, I'm surprised. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Shakespeare's sister. I'm so sorry. So my point <laughs> is, it's like I, he then talked, he then, the parallel is. Gary Kemp talked about this. What's are you, you obviously, you know, what's the name of the song he wrote for the Irish people? Uh, I have to go back and look you at it. You don't even know. You're not a fan now. Cancel this episode. You're not a fan now at all. Wow. Everybody even I was like, no, no. Oh, wait. Is it into the barricade? It's it's the barricade. So It's barricade. Yes. So he does a really passionate job of describing how passionate he is for this song. So I. He won't even let Tony sing it. Yeah, it's one of those like, no, I've got to sing it. It's for yes, me. yes. It's one of those moments. And even I, like, you know, like it or not, you have formed a, a hierarchy and an operational system in the band at this point. You got to kind of respect that because, well, what's a lead singer going to do then? You know, you, yeah. that's just, you can't pick and choose those moments. Um, so anyway, I then went to listen to the song, Martha, and it's intensely forgettable. It, there's not a melody in sight. It's just like Shakespeare's sister. And and honestly, that's the issue. I'm going to say this to you now, Martha. Yes. That I have with, because I went on a deep Spandau listening uh, experience. I'm so happy to hear that. I did. I'm so happy to hear that. I listened, I think I listened to at least a good five or six of their albums at this point. Yay. Prior to recording. I know know you like Journeys to Glory. You did like Journeys to Glory. Martha said you have to listen to their first album. It doesn't sound like the rest, basically. He's totally right. And it's yeah. their best album. It's one of the, yeah, it's their, it's my favorite. It, it's uh, Journeys to Glory and Parade are my two, my two favorite Spandau albums. And yes. so here's why I think you like, I've, I've noticed a genre that I think you, you like, and as a result of listening to these records. Oh. Yeah. So every, everything after that album, that album fits more in the new order, the more uh, Tears for Fears, the first album. It's a little more muscular. It's, it was the new romantic yes, sound that so, they were going but after. But after yes. that, to me, yes, all of their music sounds like cabaret music. Cabaret music? Sounds, what are you talking it about? It sounds like I should be in Las Vegas. <laughs> no, it, it does like not, Mr. Overfield. It does. 
I want you to try putting on different glasses on your ears and try my perspective. It sounds like I should be eating surf and turf in Las Vegas as a review show comes out called and Spandau no. Ballet. And no. Hear me out where the lead singer, it is, he has a very operatic, wonderful voice. Oh, Tony Hatley is, has one of the finest voices in music as far as I'm concerned. And I would liken it. It has an emotional, it's, he's, yes. he's singing. You're not wrong about that. Yes. It's the Mexican in me. What can it I say? Is. I it's the Mexican say, it's, in I me. I was going to say Luis Miguel kind of. Yes. It's all it's the, that. It's the Mexican in me. I love that romantic, yes. emotional yes. singing. I love it. Yes. I, I love it. And can I tell you why I love it? Can I tell Mexican. you why? No. Well, besides, that definitely plays into it. That's the music I grew up listening okay. to. Okay. All right. But besides that, besides that, I have a very difficult time um, expressing deep deep emotion okay i can do it about music i can do it about things that are you know chocolate i can do it about you know but when it comes to true deep feeling and emotion i have a very difficult time uh sometimes expressing it entirely and so i always have to do it in a sort of jokey kind of way because if i do it the way that i really feel it I'll be so overcome by emotion that I won't be able to get the words out. And with that type of music, it allows me to it. it, It's almost like it speaks to. Okay, I'm getting really deep here. It speaks to my soul and it says those kinds of songs, that kind of music expresses the things that I have a difficult time expressing. Got it. And that's why I love it so much. And when I hear people singing with so much emotion, I feel that they're like touching the core of me. And so I love it. And I, it's why I love opera because it's so emotional. It's so over the top. And I'm so restrained with my own feelings that way, that if I hear and if I see someone else expressing them, it allows me to be overcome with emotion. And it allows me to free those emotions in me up. And that is the reason that I love that music. And so you are absolutely right in what you're saying. I'm a psychologist. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's why I love it. That's why I love it. And that's what George Michael does. Yes. So, and here's to me what, to what I find, uh, I actually am similar to you. I probably, as I hear you describe yourself, I'm like, oh, wow, that really does sound like me. Certainly in terms of the way some ex-girlfriends have described me. (laughs) You know, no emotions. I no emotion, none. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm a kind of, but listen to this song. <laughs> you know, that's what I, I it's what I do with Nick. I'll be like, let me sing this to you. Yeah. And it'll be like something super right. over the top. Look. And he he knows that's my way because right. if I if I really right. say things, I will start crying. Like Got I'm it. serious. I will start crying. Well, here's what those songs are lacking for me. Oh, no, nothing. Uh, me, they can't lack oh, anything. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. This is why I don't respond to them like you do. They don't have melodies. And Hi, that's... Christian. I know. Well, look. Hey, we're different people. And yes. you, the motion is enough for you. I need that. I want that. You know, she was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. I want that. <laughs> that I that is what scratches my itch and just reduces me to puddles is, is that. And it's... And spanned out ballet's music that I listen to, uh, for the most part, he's singing. He's certainly singing in a key, but there's no hook. 
And that's why Duran Duran, I'm going to dovetail it back into the book because we read through John Taylor's book. Uh, what I have le- enjoyed reading about Martha in terms of all our reading experiences is I certainly didn't know that until we, until I read John Taylor's that Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran were kind of both positioned, like which one of these two bands is going to break big. And I don't. And Spandau was around first. Right. But I think you would agree there's no competition as to who it was that that right. it's Duran Duran exploded. <laughs> yes. And I'm telling you, the reason they did, they have melodies and gigantic hooks. Their songs have that final special magical ingredient that I think is the most elusive of all. And that's why True is like out of nowhere, the song on crack comes where, I mean, its melody just floors you to the ground. In five seconds. And, you know, uh, Nick and I have this ongoing thing because I, as as a kid growing up, I loved both. I was, you know, the, what was there not to love about both bands? They looked well, and I, they sounded I great. I just answered that question. Huh? <laughs> what was that? I said, I think I just answered that question. <laughs> yes. No, no. But they both, they, they just looked amazing. The guys they in did. Spandau were just yeah. I mean, that they just walk out of a magazine. They were stunning, right? And so there was nothing not to... And so I liked both of them. I was more of a Durani, I will admit. <laughs> but as an adult, you know, my walls were not covered. I mean, I had posters of Spandau as well and of, you know, Martin Kemp and, and Tony Hatley and all of that. Like, I liked them. But it wasn't to the degree that I was obsessed with Duran Duran. But I will say this. As an adult, I definitely listen to Spandau way more than I do to Duran Duran. And in fact, at one point I said to Nick, I think as an adult, I would venture to say that I'm a bigger Spandau ballet fan than I am a Duran Duran fan. And Nick was like, what? That is, what are you saying? That is, Sarah, what is wrong with you? That is, you right, know. But- the things wish you. We met, you promised you were Durani. <laughs> You promised me you're going to be a Durani for life with me. me. We signed papers. (laughs) That that was included in our wedding vows, woman. (laughs) You wanted to do the Duran Duran planet Earth dance for our first dance. You lied to me. Is that but, a point? But but I understand. I understand what you're saying. I I think for me it's it's what you said that just does it for me. Got it. But I will agree. I will agree. I mean, I will agree with you on something, and I cannot believe I'm saying this publicly. Here we go. And I will not edit this out. Oh, wow. But I am also not the biggest fan of that song, of Barricade. I'm not. I just never. Oh, I nobody else. But nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I love, he talks about Live Aid, I think it is, right? Oh, oh goodness, well, we're like say. pros. We're like pros about Live Aid at this well, point. We know everything. Yeah. He's the only person who failed to add in like a little composite element to that to the global Live Aid story you and I are forming. I mean, he, he the one thing he says is, it, he did sort of convey that, that Spandau Ballet, let's just, let's just, just assume for sake of argument that their music is equal to Duran Duran. I'm sorry. You're keep, so I'm mean. Sorry to keep laughing. <laughs> but let's just assume that they are. Because what do I know? Okay. I love them both. I love okay. them both. He does convey a sense that their timing was always just a little 
yeah. and the decisions that they made or how yes. the songs are released or the albums are released or the producer <laughs> yeah. they chose. And, you know, every time they could have chose, you know, you can choose <laughs> left or right. They always sort of had the misfortune of choosing the I wrong one. I felt a one. little bit bad for them when I read that. I was like, yeah. oh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, right? And so, so true, about, <laughs> so true. Funny how it seems. It does. <laughs> I could sing to you because it has melody. So he says that they're giving me advice. I don't know if it's advice or their own idea that at Live Aid, what they're going to do is take the opportunity to debut new material. Oh my god! Yeah, which is, which is, which is to me. I don't mean to be because I know I don't want to. I know you're passionate about the band, and you know I respect that. Okay, I know that, but. He says in hindsight that they made a mistake because on yes. everybody else on that platform that night just sings their monster hits. Yeah. And he yep. says we should have stuck with our hits. And my reaction <laughs> to that was like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm just going to say true for an hour he, straight. <laughs> yeah, because he says that uh, like when Queen went on stage, she's like, oh, yeah. they got it right. Like right. there was Freddie Mercury right. like singing all those. And he had right. the crowd. And we've all seen that. Yeah. We all saw like it live. He casually compared himself like, oh, we could have done that too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Different reality. You sure did. But he talks about like, we should have done that. You know, we could have had the crowd going the yeah. same way, but instead they didn't. They didn't. And, they did. they debuted okay. the new material. And, you know, Christian, I saw that when, when it happened too. I, like, I remember being so I excited when, when Spandau Ballet came on. I was like, oh my God, Spandau Ballet. <laughs> Spandau Ballet. Even the way in which they got their name was just sort of... I don't know if this way he told it or how they did. It was just so, I don't know. It's, it's, it seemed arbitrary. It just, they're struggling for a band name. Oh, they're, right. They're and called and, the, the Gentry before, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, that so, was, that was a name. Cause that's rock and roll. <laughs> right. It sounds like another version of Spandau Ballet. It sounds like, you know, these sort of sophisticates. Oh, I just love it. Who are dapper and well-dressed. And handsome. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, they were. There's, you know what? There's a picture in the book that is, um, it is wonderful. I don't know where they're on tour somewhere in Italy and they're walking down the street and it looks like, yeah, uh, in my book, because I have the hardcover, because I'm the Uber snob still. <laughs> Page 187, they're walking uh, in, how do you pronounce that, Martha? Uh, I've read, it's in France and Saint T R O Tropez. Saint Tropez. There you heard it both. That's why she went to Bandau Ballet. <laughs> my I, six my six years of studying French. <laughs> do that again. That was worth the whole episode. Do it again. Saint Tropez. Did you hear that, everybody? <laughs> I want you to record that on a vinyl forty five for me. There's a picture of the band walking down the street in their like eighties prime in, in France as in the place that Martha. And they look around. amazing. They do. It's like a yeah. still photo of uh, yeah. talented Mr. Ripley of like Jude Law and Matt Damon. Yeah, just walking in Italy, and yeah, they look stunning. And they certainly had that style. I mean, all that style is all, the name. I do think the name totally captured who they were. It was all that style. And he talks name. about he talks Gary talks about um, he talks about you know his parents who are you know just modest, you know down to earth, working class people, right? But yet he has what he calls you know these snob tastes. He yes. has, uh, yes. and, and he talks about, oh, he tries to gift his parents these sorts of, you know, s uh, nice, expensive gifts. And his parents are just kind of like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Like they're not, they're unfazed by it all. Right. 
And you know, it it <laughs> made me it made me think of me <laughs> in yes, that you good. know those are very much my roots. I'm very much a working class. Right, your parents back. are normal and you're a snob. My my parents are super salt <laughs> of the earth, lovely people. You know, humble, kind. And, and then there's Martha. And then they have me as their daughter. Do- and then they have me as their and daughter. <laughs> I did enjoy reading about his tastes. Uh, they're very, not, I don't want to say luxurious, but refined. They're refined. They yes. are refined. I think he bumps into an actor or somebody, I forget whom, in front Bob of Bob Geldof. Like, yes. Oh, that's how they're invited. Live that's Aid. how Live Aid comes about. But he bumps I, into. Is it in front of like a really like, you know, on. He's at a vintage shop. Yes. He's at a vintage shop. I love yes. that. Like two classy people meeting where two classy but people then, No, but meet. then the the cool thing is that Bob Geldof says like, what the hell are you doing here? Why don't you just go to the auctions? They're going to rip you off at the shop. Right. <laughs> He's like, no, that's the whole point. I like to. That's I, the whole point. I want to be ripped I off. I want the ambiance. <laughs> I like the Starbucks experience, dude. Love it. You know, to 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 bring it. So I told you, I really did enjoy the beginning. It had that wonderful English beginnings, and it get a sense of like, you, you feel like the country England created the color gray. In terms of the rain and the drenched <laughs> overcast, you really do. Yeah. You really do. You I, really since, do. Since just the other day, Martha was overcast and almost rainy, and I said to somebody, "This is my absolute favorite weather." Like I wish. Is it, it were, really? Oh, I wish it were overcast and almost rainy every day of the year. I don't mind it if I'm home cozy with a blanket and like my tea. <laughs> then I, I'm cool with it. Not if I, I'm out and about. I don't like it. I want it every day. Um, so when. At the end of the book, it, the book briefly, ironically, comes to life when he's talking about the death of his father. Oh. And once again, suddenly, suddenly, now that I no longer have an expectation of you delivering on the promise of Spandau Ballet, he then tells this really beautiful, painful story oh. about how his par- his parents die. I was in tears. Yeah. I was it, in tears. Like, literally, I was crying. I it was beautiful. You. It was beautiful. It was really painful and and very mundane in the details of what it's like yes. to be old and to how a person dies. And oh, I, I mean, can't. and I you know what? He brings such detail. You are this is this is my point. He brings you into. It's funny. One of the most painful moments of his life. He finally. He really. He brings you into that. Yes. You are right there yes. with him, moment yes. to moment, as his father is dying. Uh, I mean, it's he dies in slow degrees. He tells you, his father. I guess he goes into the bathroom, and this reminded yeah. me actually of my grandfather. Oh, and like, is that how your grandfather died? Uh, it just had echoes of that. Oh, and he hasn't heard from his he hasn't heard from his father in a, a couple two. He just can sense something's wrong, and he asks, "Are you yeah. okay in there, Dad?" And it goes from bad to worse, and he finds oh. his, and just the complete the way he finds oh. his father on the toilet. Just totally as a just a person without it's like a death robs you of your dignity. Yes. And suddenly everything I've been hoping for in the book comes to life in this moment as he's describing the death of his father. And then the death of his mother. Oh days later. Yeah. I so it's like that part is you clearly are capable of doing this. And when you do it, it's very moving. It's very effective. But well, look at the songs he's written, Christian. Exactly. You know? <laughs> look at exactly. the songs he's written. <laughs> I, there, there's not a, uh, I don't find anything in them. Personally. What do you mean? You don't find anything in the songs that he's written? 
Well, I mean, we could have the lyric debate all over again if you'd like, but I don't listen oh. to music for the lyrics. Nobody does. Oh. That's why you go to the music. You know what? I've distilled it because I'm a genius, Martha, and I want you to know something. I finally <laughs> okay. figured it okay, out. Okay, humble Christian, tell me. Here we tell go. me. Here we go. So all those people who tell me, oh, just listen to the lyrics, man. It's in the lyric. So basically, you want me to focus on the one thing that doesn't require the use of my ears, the lyrics. I can read the lyrics. The whole point of music as a concept is that it requires my ears. It is that art form. For it me, is, it's all of it. For me, it's, it's all of it. No, but you you just asked me to consider the song and what there's not well, yes. there's no melody in it. And again, if you're going to ask me to, to think about the lyrics, that's the least important part in terms of the particular experience of the mu- of, uh, of of the store. It's is the it's not the food section where I use my mouth. It's not the perfume section. This is the music section that requires my for ears. For me, it's all of it. You see, all I listen to, ears? for me, it's a, it's a holistic experience for me. I listen to, for me, it's all of it. All of it is important. The the I can tell within seconds sometimes whether I'm going to like a song or not. And a lot of it has to do with the voice and the way the music and the voice match. And yes, it's, a whole, is, thing, it's a whole thing for me. I, I have noticed, I'm not, again, that's not, I don't mean that disparaging way. It's just I've, totalistic approach to it all i do yeah yeah i do that's mine's my just my metric system is different than yours that's all yes yeah. yes that's all and, it, and if romance were alone or were a bigger component of uh, why i enjoy things i could see why definitely this would be appealing because it's all there it's certainly there i mean oh it, it's all there for sure i will say having listened to all his panned out ballet i love the lead singer He's, he just, there's something about his delivery all the time that makes you feel like he shows up to, to enthusiastically oh. just deliver Oh, it. yes. Tony and is all there. There's yes. a moment of tension in the book I really enjoyed because when he want, when uh, Gary wants to sing the song, Barricades, everybody knows the song, so you know what I'm talking Everyone about. Everyone knows the song. <laughs> he keeps interrupting t- Tony. Like, oh, like, that was like, pissing like, me off. I was, me too. He's like, Tony, so here's what's happening in this song. If like the soldier feels this way and the wife feels this way, the victim, Tony's like, dude, okay, I'm, I get it. Let me just do my thing. And Gary just interrupts the guy a hundred thousand times. And I got, I felt for Tony in that moment. It's like, you know, this is the one thing I do do. Can you just leave me alone a little bit? And to Gary's credit, he he does leave. I get. I think the producer's like, let's take a walk. And he kind of walks away from it. Yeah, um, but after he's bugged the hell out of poor Tony. And, you know, just to bring some insight into the whole Spandau Ballet story, um, <laughs> that is in part uh, <laughs> the reason. <laughs> that is in part the reason that the, 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 the splitting of the band. Right. Well... Know, I don't. So let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. It's a good note to end on, I think. To my, because I was on, uh, we're only getting Gary's side. So my, based on what I understand, I was a billion percent on his side. So on Gary's side. Yes. And yeah, how can you not be as you read, as you read this book, obviously his, his side of the story, right? But I mean, he, you can't, it's not, you can't deny that he wrote the songs. He wrote all the songs. Well, no, no, that's a fact. That's why I'm right. saying that's what I'm saying. Like facts the, are true. Then right. I, I'd like to know what we might be missing if, in fact, we are. Because what pen what happens is Gary Kemp has his own. He's the songwriter. 
And so he gets a large, a separate, distinct, obviously, portion of the prophet because he's the song writer. And I thought actually spoke well of him that apparently he was using his proceeds to sort of fund the band. Correct. I felt the same. I was amazed. I was like, wow, what a generous guy. That's how much he believes in this global project. And I think somewhere along the lines, he decided to stop doing that. And he's come a bazillion percent within his rights to do that. He's he's not obligated to spend one penny of that money on the band. Right. But according to him, I guess somebody somewhere, some of the band members felt differently. And that produced the lawsuit. And he had to go to court on an issue. But again, he doesn't tell us exactly anything more than that. So I don't know. Well, what they had agreed upon was that... And this is what, you know, I think we've seen throughout a lot of these books uh, that happens with just in bands. It's it's almost, you know, part of, of being in a band, right? That uh, they, you know, they were because it was uh, both he and Steve, Steve, the saxophone player, who started the band together. You know, they'd known each other since school. They, they, they all knew each other. They all grew up. You know, they all knew each other from school. So they've been friends since they were kids. And they, you know, they start the band. And, and as as they were starting up, you know, they had agreed as this is the side of the story of the other guys, right? That they'd agreed that there was going to be sort of a fair split or a, a, an equal split between them uh, with earnings and, and all of this. And then they come to find out that it's really not, that it's all just him and that and so that was the, the, the beginning and, and the, the, the fracture. And, and, and really what he tells us is that the very be- at the beginning, really, where he kind of started feeling this was that uh, he's tired of being the, the sole songwriter. But we also have to add, Christian, that at yeah. one point he says. That's pressure, you know, by the way. That he. Yes, of yeah. course it is to be, you know, writing hit after hit. But what he tells us is. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, on, oh my goodness. But he tells us they were. There's a lot of hits that you don't know of, but okay. there are. I think um, it was an oxymoron, Martha. <laughs> well, yes, yes, I see that. I see that now that I said it. You're absolutely right. I, I, who, so I know that I'm not the only one that knows the hits. There's lifeline, communication, going, round and round. Going, I'll tell, I'll let you know when I recognize. <laughs> you know, round and round. Uh, you I mean, making these up and I, and I am know. not. I am not. So uh, what he tells us is that, you know, Steve was also showing an interest in songwriting. Yes, yes. And, and one of the things that I also respected um, about him saying is that, you know, there was a bit of him that was insecure. Like, what if these other guys outright me? And then I lose yeah. that control. I did he appreciate does, I, he was vulnerable in stating that. Yes, yeah. I appreciated the fact that he admits to that. And he says, you know, it was, it was my insecurity that maybe one of these other guys would write something. Because he says, you know, I felt... He started feeling that the pressure was on him to to write these songs, right? And he says, but, you know, it's I, in some ways I brought it upon myself because initially, you know, Steve wanted to write with me as well. He, he had songs that he wanted to write and other people wanted to contribute. But he started setting a tone uh, within the band 
that he was, in fact, the sole songwriter. So everyone else just kind of backed off. But then he starts sort of resenting, resenting that, that a little yeah. bit because he's like, well, now I have all the pressure and hell yeah, I'm going to be the one raking in the money. And yeah, it's going to be my songs. But by the same token, you know, right. he wasn't really giving anybody else a chance. So, you know, that's sort of where the where the tension begins. And so, so human. I love that. That's so yes, human. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so then later, you know, there's tension and everyone's feeling dissatisfied, in part also because both he and his brother, Martin, who's the bass player for Spandau Ballet, and coincidentally, he is married to, I want to remember her name, from Wham, the blonde. He's married to her, and George Michael made that introduction. Oh. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so it's all tied. It's all tied, everyone. All, all these tied, people all are tied. They're all connected. Uh, so then, you know, there's there's all that friction. And eventually, you know, him and his brother, start, they're acting in a movie. They do the crazy, as Christian mentioned earlier. And then he starts pursuing acting as well. And they're kind of sidelining into other projects. You know, Tony goes on to make his own album. Uh, everyone sort of, but they never really talk about the split. Nah. And it's not until... Yes, everyone just kind of, it was like they just, they had that one last show in Edinburgh where they just said, okay, we'll see you later. And that was 18 years, see you later, because they didn't see each other again until that many years later. Uh, Because at that point, everybody was sort of just doing their own thing. And the other band members, rightfully so, were resentful of the fact that, you know, he went on to then make... um, you know, a movie and do all these other projects. And everybody was just kind of like, we don't care about any of that. What yeah. about the band? And, and I, s- I understood the band in that moment. For oh, sure. totally. Oh, yeah. Totally. How could you not? How yeah. could you not also, you know, but, you know, by the same token, it's almost like you're, at least for me, the way that I saw it is, well, everyone should have been able to pursue whatever they wanted to do on their own. But ultimately with, you know, but if, if the band, if, if the band, enough, yeah, yeah, exactly. If the in- band was the main project, then that was the priority, right? Sure. Not these other side projects. So eventually, you know, that happens and then the band splits and then they get together and they have the Reformation tour. Uh, and that's where the book ends, right? Where they're all back together and happy. Of always, of course. But that's not where the story ends. Oh, Beca- there's, wait, there's more to that. Are you adding to the Carrie Kemp story? I am adding. I'm adding oh, to what happened. Oh my gosh. I, hold on. Let me, let me take a breath. Okay, go ahead. Oh, stop it! <laughs> because what happens after that is that well, they they keep touring. You're hearing and, it here first, folks. Huh? I said you're hearing it here first, folks. Martha's you're hearing it. it here. I am a I true fan. I love it. So what really happens is that after that, you know, they continued touring. Everything was great. I saw them in 2015. Where? And at the Wiltern. Oh. And it was a fantastic concert. I it believe was, that. It was amazing. It was truly, truly amazing. Funny how and, and I remember that when we were there, I, I said to Nick, being the snobby Spandau that I am, I said, I'm going to, right now, we are going to find out who the real Spandau Ballet fans are. And I, sure I'm enough. I'm sure he surrendered quickly and said it's you. <laughs> <laughs> because they said, we're going to now play some songs from our very first oh, album. Yeah, the deep hits, the deep cuts, huh? And, and you heard, you heard. <laughs> the crowd go bananas. No, you heard like five of us. That would <laughs> like be me, crazy. actually. I would have said thank you, the good one. 
you heard about five of us going crazy and losing our mind and everyone around me just was quiet you could have heard a pin drop (laughs) and there i was going crazy going bananas because they played three songs and it was amazing it was great and then obviously you know when they played true everyone just lost it and you know, everyone got crazy, but it was a really great concert. Well, nonetheless, it was wonderful. And I'm so glad that I got to see them because yeah. soon after that, Tony left the band. The lead singer. Yes. You he left it then. Game over. And he is an oh, Spandau Ballet goes on. They're still together. Did they find a sound alike? You can. The band can never. No, it can never be the same singer. without Tony. It can't be the no. same without. He, he's, he's Spandau Ballet. I mean, Gary might have written the songs. Yeah, but it's, it's like, Tony's. If, it's Tony's. Yeah, Tony is Spandau Ballet. If Dave gone leaves Depeche Mode, it doesn't matter. It's over. It's just right. I mean, you it's know, foundational history. You've you've right you've empowered a, another human being to be part of the fabric of the first concentric circle of the tree. Exactly. As simple as that. Ex- yeah. Yeah. So the 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 guy that they replaced him with was was a thirty year old. Yes. Who <laughs> okay, was a thirty year old. Who interestingly, Christian oh, uh-huh. resembled Tony. No, no way. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. You, and know, you know, like that guy's not a member of the band. He's paid per show. Oh probably. yeah, he's he's he not a. Gets, like he probably has to work the t-shirt booth. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't because he's no longer in the band either. Oh, maybe it's scary then. You got us. Well, yeah. that's what I, that's what I'm getting at. So, uh, so what I've read is that part of the reason that Tony left, and one of the reasons, and so that's see, why when he you're giving he, me more juice right now, Martha, I'm more <laughs> riveted than anything in that book. Well, let me tell you the Please, reason I'm that. Listening. So the reason for our listeners who might also not know this part of the Spandau Ballet story, uh, the reason that. Uh, it's rumored because Tony has said things here and there from things that I've read interviews and things that I've read about him. He has kind of hinted at it, but he's never necessarily come out and flat out said it. But, and I think that that's part of the reason too, uh, Christian, that when he has that meeting with him and he tells us that Tony says his piece, but he doesn't tell us exactly what I didn't necessarily feel that I needed to know because I've read enough where I kind of can get a feeling of what he might've said to him. And one of the things that I've often read was that there that their relationship was always very strained in part Gross. because Gary was so controlling that he always talked down to Tony. Oh. And he, and, and, and from what things that I've read, and this is obviously just stuff that you read and that people write. Correct? I, believe, I believe it though. Tried to but I can you. believe keep it going. based no, on going. the little bit that he did tell us about mm. what he was like with him just with that one song, because then you have this other guy i mean let me put it to you this way the 30 year old that they hired he was with the band i think from so i saw them in 2015 soon after that concert that i went to and after they finished touring that particular world tour that they did that's when tony left and then they brought in this other guy this young 30 year old that guy left in 2017 he was basically he came out saying like yeah i'm gonna leave and it was made to sound as though Spandau what had kicked him out when that hadn't been the case. Uh, and so it's always been very unclear as to exactly what happened. But you hear you have two of your singers who leave your right, band. Right. It can be the singers, right? I yeah. mean, there's got to be something else going on. And maybe it is Gary. I don't know. Because uh, ultimately, he's, he's, he's the guy running it. He's yeah. the guy running it, right? Yeah. And so... 
So yeah, that's wow. the whole Spandau Ballet story. So as of now, and recently I saw an interview with, with Tony, uh, before we even before we read this book, just a few months ago, I saw an interview with him and he said that he will never return to Spandau Ballet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you mean never wow. say never, right? But, exactly. but it's unfortunate because last year they celebrated their 40th anniversary from when they released Journeys into Glory. And it's a shame that it just, like, it's done. I mean, it's really sad. It's really sad. And Duran Duran marches on. And Duran Duran just got inducted into the Rock and Roll That's Hall of Fame. That's right. And so there you go. You know, real quickly, there was a section of the book where I thought, um, I enjoy reading about how L.A. seduces people. Oh, he yeah, you really feel that he was willing to sell out all of Spandau Ballet because For LA. He, yes, yeah. he sets up shop and home with Sadie Frost in L.A. because right. he thinks he's got a oh, what was the what was the thing he auditioned for? And, oh, he gets a role in the bodyguard. Um, the I bodyguard. knew that. Yeah, I knew that he was in the bodyguard. I when I read it, I, obviously I've seen the bodyguard when it came out, but I could, did not remember him in it. I've never seen that movie, by the way. I've never well, seen it. You're not a fan now. I've never seen it, but I knew he was in it. I did know that he was in it. I enjoyed reading about that. I feel like LA's it's LA's function is to to to, is a place of temptation. To of course it is. It's just will you sell your soul, all of your family members, it lures everyone, relationships, all of your promises. You will sell them in a heartbeat when you are enticed by the glamour of driving around Mulholland Drive at sunset with cool people, whoever they are, because. He's seduced and he's hanging out with Kevin Costner and he thinks he's going to go somewhere. Right. And he's got a career. And he was crazy. They, they, they seemed to, to to predicate the entire move on the single small role he gets in The Bodyguard. And Sadie... Well, they move here because of Sadie, because she he, she right. wants to audition for Francis Ford Coppola. Well, that's, yeah, she gets... But the role she gets in Dracula... Is right. maybe forty five seconds long. Right, it's it's a small it's a yeah. small role. And correct. That's my, that's my point. It's like right, you've right. got this gigantic career going, multiple albums with multiple people, and it's your own creation. Yes. And you're willing to consider throwing all of that away for forty five seconds in a Hollywood movie. And <laughs> I tell you, that really speaks to how what that level of temptation. There must be something in, in that, Martha, because. You know, he's not the only person to flaunt with giving it all up for that. And I wonder, I don't want to know what that is. You Obviously, you and I are going to find out when we get to that level. <laughs> Eventually. But yeah. we're already in L.A., though, Christian. We, we So the temptation is not as great to come here. You know, I always say L.A. is, is filled with wannabes, right? Everybody wants to be something. They Everybody do. aspires to be something. And that's why so many people move here, right? Because they, they see opportunity. They see. Even think Gary about Kemp. it. Even Gary Aaron Kemp. Gary Kemp. Even yeah. Gary Kemp decides. And I think especially, you know, for people that are English and, and British in general, I yeah. think it's. The sun too. The, the sun. sun the sun lures that. you in. The sun you know, lures I, you in. You know, the sun's also in Idaho and in Texas. But know? it doesn't shine quite as bright as it does right. in L.A. Christian. Yeah, not, it needs to shine off the sunglasses of a 22-year-old model, I guess. That, right. Yeah. And listen, and we also need to mention someone very quickly before we end this episode, right. okay. and that is Mr. Richard Blade of K Rock. Yeah, he is. He makes a presence in this book. Yeah. Um, and and not just as as someone who played them obviously on K Rock, but yeah. as someone who actually traveled with yeah. them, uh, and was a part of all of that. And you know, yeah. I've I've seen uh, and and heard things about Richard Blader. Have seen him talk right. about things where he was 
very much uh, someone who accompanied bands yeah. on their tours, and he 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 was much of a, as much of a rock star as the rock stars themselves. I know that he partied very hard with NXS as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I love this. I love this. I love this chapter of your passion, Martha. Yes, this is. I love yeah. this part of music history, Christian <laughs> yeah. and. And he um, he used to party with all these bands, you know. So, I mean, when I read that he partied with them too, I wasn't surprised because I'd heard of him, you know, going on tour with bands. And right. I imagine, you know, uh, being as 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 a part of all of the yes. stuff as they were. And you know, the other thing that I did appreciate about this book, Christian, I will tell you, you know, you know that these guys were sleeping with. Hundreds of women. Yes. I mean, they were gorgeous men. You know, they were gorgeous and the music right. and the looks. My God, I'm sure that they just had as much as they wanted of everything. And um, but he never gives us details about that, which I was happy about. And not. he does. And, and he doesn't talk about he he alludes to everything that they were doing. You know, he says, like, they're partying. and But he never shares anything about that. He doesn't tell us right. about he doesn't kiss and tell, which which I liked. I'm sure there's a middle ground somewhere that that uh, would satisfy both of us because I, I completely understand what you're talking about. He and again, go into like Brett Anderson. He brings a kind of class and dignity to the way he tells the story. Yes. He doesn't drag you down into the gutter. No, he does not. Right. Um, there's got to be a way to mix the two. Um, <laughs> you're like, there's got to be a way to like mix no, a little bit of the, of the mean, trash. I can, <laughs> I can still remember some of the stories from Sebastian Bach's book. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, you know. <laughs> well, that you know, book was just. <laughs> right. I mean, totally. I'm still, I'm still, you know, I still remember some of those stories from Billy Idol's book. No, and it's like, I'd I. rather, I'd rather forget those. <laughs> yeah. I would have, I'll split the difference. I would have liked to have had some, you know, some of that. Uh, and, and just a little, and it wasn't, to me, it I was, I was there. okay not reading about it. I think we've. We have I think read we've, enough. We've read enough where right. I can imagine the debauchery right. that was occurring right. on, on tour with those guys. When I write my book, I will try to keep it as a minimum for you. <laughs> Please do, Christian. Please yeah. do. No one wants to read about all that. <laughs> but they do, though. That's They, they do, clearly. Give, give me one story. Give me, give me a little sugar, a little salt, anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, I did enjoy... It's always knowledge. Uh, it's always how our listeners can kind of through us experience that, you know, we are just constantly increasing the tapestry of all this, Martha. Yes. And that part never fails to just oh, really be wonderful. When Boy George showed up again. It was like a friend, it <laughs> like, a like, a friend. Friend. Really... like a snarky friend, like a snarky friend that you love to hear love... snark. Have yeah. snarky show up. Like that's your role in the television show. And this episode, I laughed. He, yes. Every time he showed up. Every he, because he had something to say. He was yeah. like, like you said, it was like, oh, you're still making that shitty music. Yeah. Like let, and then what does he say to them? I guess they're recording in the same yes, studio at one right. point. And he says, Can you please get the F out of here? It's time for real music to be made. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Yes. Well, I will say, you know, a lot of this uh, isn't going to not be somewhat nostalgic for, for us and everybody, because these people are writing books about a time past. But if you didn't get to experience Richard Blade and all that stuff, you did miss out on something. 
Did you, if you didn't and get I, to experience Richard Blade and K-Rock during the golden yeah. era of 80s music, did you really live? <laughs> I'll bet there's going to be a documentary one day about him like there is Rodney uh, being in There Robert. has to be. Yeah, there has really to was, be. He was Richard different. Blade was Richard Blade was was he as was instrumental out. in my in my musical taste as Rodney was. You know, I mean. A, well, I still have incredibly fun. I remember the the day it was a Sunday afternoon about two o'clock. I remember it was actually an overcast day that I first heard True on the radio. I mean, I, re, I re, it, it, how can you? Wow, you like remember that. that? Yeah, I remember it. It was that. It, you don't have to be an adult to just feel all of that. No, yeah, no, and, we were kids, and yeah. you and and you just knew that it was a wonderful song. Yeah, and how can you not remember it in Sixteen Candles? I mean. Was oh it in my that God. movie? Yes. Oh. When she's there at the gym and then they right. play it. And, and uh, oh, my God, that heartbreaking scene where she's like totally in love. Oh, I can't. Yeah. I'm just dying. Right? I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> where she's like totally in love with Jake Ryan sure. and he, she's dancing with that girl and he's just like heartbroken. Yeah, sure. But yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I hear the you. Best. Those are great times. I, great times. Beyond, I think we've expressed this the last episode, the 80s were even better than you think they were if you oh, were But I think we may be romanticizing them a bit now too in our old age, Christian. I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so? Maybe that's just what everybody does. I met somebody recently and yeah. I, I know she listens to this podcast, so I'm not going to get too into it. But she romanticized the 90s and it was... A, Never the twain shall meet between the two of us on that point. I just. Yeah, the 90s, the 90s. When I saw the Blink 182 songs that accompanied other things, I just thought were. It was just. (laughs) My point is, is that I I worry that that you and I are just biologically designed to romanticize that period of our life. How can you not? How can you not? but, But there's a reason people. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll leave it alone. Um, I said that to Nick the other day. I said. It's not because I'm old or because we're old, but the '80s were the last great era of music, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I with could you. be wrong. I Maybe some people you. will disagree with me, but you know I, that's how I, I feel. I agree. We could get into that. I do think the rules and boundaries help artists uh, give them a thing against which to fight, and those things are gone now. Yes. Uh, but that's a separate, deeper, more uh, you know, less fun discussion. Yeah. So we'll we'll leave it there. Um, we'll leave it there. Yeah, uh, I do want to briefly, Martha, indulge me. I want to tell our fans that today, I got to spend time with one of my musical heroes. <laughs> yes. If you if you don't mind, I'm gonna tell you. If, if they've listened this long, I know, don't. I got to spend a little time with Dean Wareham today, and I bought one of his electric guitars, and uh, it was super cool. And um, that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> And I will share that it felt like a first date. He didn't know he was on it, but <laughs> I even like, what am I going to wear when I, when I spend time with Does him? Does my hair look okay? Yeah. Do I what smell I good? Say? Are my what teeth, I... there's nothing, there's no yeah. food in my teeth. <laughs> what am I going to do if he wants to spend like more time with me? I envisioned, I envisioned us being together to, still like now, like <laughs> hanging out, just jamming and bonding and. I envisioned that's what you do on first dates. Like you imagine I, I, the relationship. I, it's, it's been a long time since I was last on a first date, but yes, right. I, I, I remember. I remember that. I remember well, I those. went on a first date with Dean Wareham today. And <laughs> for 15 minutes, it was as wonderful as, as 
as you should possibly imagine. I'm okay. so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I just wanted to share that with the listeners because they've been yeah. on the journey with us when we talked yes. about him. And we and read his book. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And now I'm friends with him. And now you're best, not friends, best friends. Best, I'm dating. We're dating. <laughs> you're dating. You didn't even know it. You're dating. He doesn't know it to this day. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, this has been fun. I really enjoyed this with you, Martha. Um, even and... though you, even though you hate Spandau Ballet, but thank I you for in, thank them. you thank you for indulging me, I, Christian. It helped thank me you. actually. You know, that was another. This piece helped me actually figure in, see pattern. Like, oh, I, I'm starting to understand Martha's world and what speaks to her. It, it really kind of filled in a picture that explained the Wham to me, explained the George Michael, explained a lot. Yes, um, but I also have to say I also like, you know, good psychedelic rock and roll. No, it's really really, you know, guitar driven bands. That's that's my that's my other. There's no in the middle. I'm either one or the other. So Okay. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Uh and it's been a delight as always. We haven't been here with you as often as we'd like to be. <laughs> Yes, life you know, has been very busy. Right, lately. but you know, but think of us as water in the desert. You know, when you get to it, you're just so relieved, even if it takes longer than you'd like. It. Uh, <laughs> we will be joining you again in the future with another um, musician's memoir and spending yes. time with you. We hope so. For myself, yes. I say, see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone.